studied the form of comics intimately. What you need is a hobby. Words and pictures, it could be more of an art form. What the fuck are you talking about? I don't know, it's pretty goddamn weird. A guy dresses up like a devil and he's a blind lawyer, you know? We have to do Aquaman. No one with a lick of sense would watch that show. The word fan actually is an abbreviated form of fanatic. And there are some people who fit that category. I believe comics are our last link to an ancient way of passing on history. You can put on a uniform for football year-round, nobody cares. Basketball year-round, nobody cares. Put on a Star Trek uniform, people get a case of the giggles. Yeah, hi, somebody told me to make comic books here. That's from Superman? Smallville. You've been trying that Jedi mind shit on me since the eighth grade. It doesn't work. Oh, it works. You guys must read too many comic books or something. People do not masturbate in the DC universe. That was the biggest load of crap I've ever heard. Welcome back to Trinus Magnus Punches Reality, presented by Two True Freaks. I'm your host, Magnus, and what I do is talk about comics, movies, and TV shows. And I've done so for a shitload of episodes now. But, typically, whenever I reach the end of a particularly enjoyable uh, comic book series, or I guess I should say just a couple of uh, issues... What I usually say near the end of the episode is now, I don't know when, but I will be coming back to this at some point in the future. So keep an ear out for that. And inevitably, the next next episode is about something else entirely. And so because of that, what I've decided to do is a little six-episode miniseries where I talk about stuff I promised I'd talk about in the future, but never really managed to get around to. I'm calling this series Unfinished Business because that was just about the best title I could think of for a series where I talk about a bunch of comics that I said I'd talk about again but yet never seem to manage to get around to talking about. So here we are. Now as it goes for today, um, basically I wanted to talk about some more Young Justice comics. Now for those of you who may not remember, I last talked about Young Justice way back in episode 6 of Trennis Magnus Punches Reality and during that episode actually I talked about this was Young Justice numbers 1 through 4 and so I promised that I'd come back to it at some point in the future but somehow never really got around to it well the future is now and so 
What I'm going to be talking about, at least to start with, is Young Justice number five. So, when we left off with our heroes back in Young Justice number four, which I, again, talked about last time, and uh, this was uh, Trinus Magnus Punches Reality episode six, Young Justice had just gotten the shit beaten out of him by the supervillain called Harm, a teenage supervillain by the name of Harm, and he's somehow slick enough to completely destroy Young Justice. That's how tough this guy is. So, basically the team was, they were sent sent back home to lick their wounds, and at least for the moment, that seemed to be pretty much the end of it. And, I guess if you really want to get technical about it, the next issue that I should be talking about is actually Young Justice Secret Files number one. But I'm not going to do that because of the fact that I don't really think that has any kind of immediate bearing on the story at hand. It's really more to do, at least somewhat, with uh, Secret. I'm going off memory on that, but I seem to think that relates more to Secret than it does the story that's going on right now. And so, that's really part of the reason that I'm not talking about it. The other part of it is, there's a uh, there's a page in there about the about the team called Old Justice, which is a, it's basically a, a team of a bunch of washed up old geriatric sidekick characters from the Golden Age who have nothing better to do. So like a bunch of worthless old fucks, they just go around causing trouble for everybody, demanding that they get their proper respect because fuck you, I don't even care. So that's another reason why I just, I don't want to talk about it. So it's just those types of characters just always really just piss me off on a kind of personal level, just very visceral level. And so, fuck it, I don't want to talk about it. So, anyway. What I do want to talk about is Young Justice number five. Writer is Peter David. Penciler is Todd Nock. Cover date is February of 1999. Cover price is 250 so prices are definitely starting to go up. And... The issue starts with Red Tornado hanging around the Justice Cave, and he's sending a message, a video message, uh, to his daughter, basically saying, I want to see you again in the future, and your mother too, if I can find a way to work that out. And his video message ends up getting cut short when he gets impaled by a sword. Come to find out, Harm has broken into the cave and has pretty much just wrecked shop on Red Tornado. Elsewhere, back at Harm's house, his dad is asking his mom to go away uh, to uh, her mother's her mother's house for the weekend, while he, the husband, Harm's father, deals with Harm. So, Billy, basically, while he deal, deals with Billy, man to man. And we're going to be coming back to this in just a little bit. But uh, as it goes for right now, the team members are basically in the process of trying to uh, reconnoiter following their adventure in Young Justice Secret Files and Origins number one. And basically they no sooner arrive at the, uh, at the cave than they see a video message from Harm saying over and over again, Holy Beatles, kids! Holy Beatles, kids! Holy Beatles, kids! And they truly don't know exactly what the hell to do with it. So they do some investigation 
and they decide that Harm can only be talking about the Beatles con that's uh, in town right now. And so Spirit asks exactly what does Holy Beatles refer to, Robin? And Robin replies that it's reminiscent of an old bad TV series, actually. And that was something about this that actually kind of put me off. I mean, obviously, this is kind of a reference to holy whatever the fuck, Batman, from the Adam West Batman TV show. And I tend to be just a little bit ecumenical insofar as Batman is concerned. I mean, to me, the, I guess, the Red Rain Elseworlds universe Batman, the Neil Adams Batman of the Bronze Age, the Bob Kane Golden Age Batman, the Adam West Batman on TV, and all of the other Batman. I mean, these are, they're all equally Batman to me. And I, I just, I really don't look down my nose at any of them. I mean, even Chris Nolan's Batman, it's really more to do with the fans of those movies than it is the movies themselves. And... I don't know. It just seems kind of like a cheap shot to make fun of that TV series, especially in, you know, the 90s and everything when that was, you know, the cool thing to do, you know. And I don't know. I mean, it's just I don't know if that is Peter David editorializing or what, but it it just felt to me very unwelcome, very inappropriate. I really will never approve of making fun of the Adam West Batman. And I guess the reason for that is because it's kind of hard to make fun of something that never took itself seriously to begin with, you know? So what humor do you think you can find by make, by basically mocking something that mocked itself and everything else to begin with already? I mean, you know, you're not going to score any points against that TV show that the TV show hasn't already scored against itself. So you're not clever or snarky or whatever the fuck for, for doing that. Anyway, and it just occurred to me, you know, I think I'm in a little bit of a bad mood here, a little bit cranky for some reason. I just, I don't know why. I mean, there's, it's not anything particularly negative's happened lately, but for some reason, I just seem to be in a little bit of a ranty mood. So kind of makes me wonder what the rest of this episode's going to bring. But anyway, I digress. So they stake out the Beatles con and it becomes pretty apparent pretty quickly that this is not harm's target. Before too long, Robin figures out what exactly Harm means whenever he says, Holy Beatles, kids. And so he gets on the the, uh, communique with Wonder Girl and he says, This is Robin. Round up Impulse in secret and meet us at St. Swithin's Cathedral. Meanwhile, as all that's going on, Arrowhead is using Superboy for target practice. And basically what what Superboy is trying to do is catch her arrows in midair. And the reason for that is because Arrowette basically got fucked up in the last issue when Harm caught her arrow in midair and then threw it back at her. Superboy is convinced he can do the same thing, but so far he hasn't managed to do it. And so she's fired about a zillion arrows at him, and so far he hasn't managed to catch a single one. Robin interrupts. He storms into the room, catches both arrows in midair, and says that, look, we don't have time for this. We've got to get the hell out of here because we know where Tornado and Harm are going to be. And Superboy chalks that up to beginner's luck. They hop on board the supercycle and off they go. On the way, though, Superboy asks, you know, what exactly are we doing and how did you figure this all out? 
Superboy replies that we're going to St. Swithin's Cathedral. There's a midnight mass being led by and in honor of the Pope. You remember him. He's Pope John Paul II, as in the Beatles. Get it? Because John, Pope John Paul II was the Pope at the time. So, in any case, um, at St. Swithin's Cathedral, the Pope is in the middle of celebrating Mass, and in the middle of all this, Red Tornado storms in and basically tries to take out the Pope, at which time the Pope's armed bodyguards open fire. And, you know, I don't know if the Pope actually has armed bodyguards. I don't, I wouldn't think he does, but I don't know. I mean, I, it's, it's just one of those things I've never really, I guess I've not really thought very much about, but it just, it, it would seem kind of strange. I mean, look, I, like the Swiss guard, you know, I can understand that, you know, that's mostly a ceremonial thing and they're always positioned out, uh, outside of uh, St. Peter's, I believe. But this idea of him traveling with armed guards, I just find that very difficult to believe. But even if he did, I just find it hard to believe that they'd be allowed into into mass, but even if they were, I absolutely cannot believe they'd be allowed to stand on the altar. I mean, it's just, I don't know. Maybe they would be. I have no idea. I just, whatever, it's a story and I probably shouldn't overanalyze it, but this is just, it seemed a bit strange to me is all I'm saying. So anyway, moving right along, Impulse intercepts Red Tornado and does this, the uh, uh, Super Friends spin around him to keep him in place while Wonder Girl grabs the Pope and... They make a they make a break for it, and Wonder Girl, of course, puts her foot in her mouth. And look, maybe this is just something that I'm a little bit sensitive to, being as you know, I am Catholic. You know, normally I wouldn't bring up the fact that, or whatever my religion is, I wouldn't usually bring that up in the middle of a, uh, in the middle of a show, just because. Call me crazy. I'm guessing none of you listen to this show because you like hearing me talk about religion, but. Then again, though, I mean, I do think religion is the most interesting subject in the entire world. I think religion's actually even more interesting than comics, believe it or not. I mean, to me, interesting subjects for conversation, they fit into exactly two categories. You've got religion, and then you've got everything else. So to me, I don't know. I mean, to me, religion's the most interesting thing in the world, but like I say, that's not why you guys listen. But the reason I mention it, nevertheless, is because... You get like little jokes like this once in a while where you have Wonder uh, Wonder Girl saying, Sorry, Your Holiness, our friend the red guy isn't usually like this. If you judged him from this whole thing, you'd be making a big mistake. Which uh, isn't to say you make mistakes. You probably don't. Well, not probably. I mean, blah, 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 blah. And, uh, whatever. I mean, look, again, I don't know if this is Peter David editorializing or what, but it's just... I don't know. And again, maybe I'm just reading too much into this. Maybe I'm overanalyzing it. Maybe I'm just too sensitive uh, to it because I'm Catholic myself and I just need to shut the fuck up about it. I don't know. But it's just, I don't know. There's just this stuff like that just is kind of bothersome. Anyway, but whatever. On, on the roof of the cathedral, Wonder Girl uh, takes the Pope to what she believes, at least, is safety. But then she gets... She gets intercepted there by Harm, who goes on the attack, swings his giant fucking sword. I mean, this thing is just a lethal thing. Good golly. But uh, anyway, 
So they're they're duking it out while Secret is doing... Well, I say she's doing her best to protect the Pope, but let's face it, she's immaterial, so she really can't do a whole lot to protect the Pope, but whatever. Whatever it is there, whatever there is to be done, she is doing it. So, in any case, as it's going on, Harm is indulging in just a little bit of trash talk during the fight, saying... And you may want to rethink wasting time with me, particularly considering that there's a bomb implanted in your beloved red tornado in a few minutes. Midnight mass becomes midnight mess. And so, I don't know, whatever, I've, midnight mess, whatever. I don't know, maybe, I, again, I'm, I'm just being, I guess, too sensitive to this stuff. I just really need to move on. So anyway. He said, understand, the, the Pope's involvement in this is somewhat irrelevant. I still consider myself a supervillain in self-training. Although the fewer foolish superheroes that I have to deal with once, on a, once I'm an adult, the better. So, moves in uh, for the kill on, on Wonder Girl, and then, she, then he gets intercepted by Robin. And Harm is a little bit too excited about the fact that he's finally facing off with Robin. Uh, he says, at last, the most dangerous one of all. And when you think about it, he's talking about a team that includes Arrowette, Impulse, Superboy, and now Wonder Girl. For him to call Robin the most dangerous one of all? What the fuck? So, anyway, Robin decides that Harm is his. He stakes his claim on it uh, right then and there. And he and Harm duke it out while Superboy, Impulse, and Spirit basically... Um, clear out the cathedral as best they can of innocent bystanders. So they, meaning Harm and Robin, they are duking it out on the roof, and they're pretty much giving each other, a, a, I would say, a fairly decent fight. I mean, I think it would be fair to say that this is probably the most intense fight that Harm's gotten from any of the, uh, any member of, of Young Justice. So... Doesn't really make all that big a difference, though, because <sighs> Harm snaps a, a chunk off a, a gargoyle and beats Super Superboy. Sorry, he snaps a chunk off of a gargoyle and beats Robin senseless with it. And as all of that's going on, the situation downstairs has been finally diffused by the other members of the team. Impulse has extracted the bomb from Red Tornado, and they are pretty much. I guess, back in control of the situation, at least somewhat. But meanwhile, up on the rooftop, Harm's about to pitch Robin off, off of the roof, and so that's Arrowette's cue to swing into action and try rescuing uh, Robin while at the same time... Wait, where the hell even is... Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah, because I see. Basically what happens is Arrowette swoops in, catches Robin, and... Harm ends up falling on Impulse as Impulse is running up the side of the building carrying the bomb. So Wonder Girl catches Impulse, and that's pretty much it. We don't really see what ends up happening with Harm, but, you know, because something's something supervillain, you can pretty well figure he's he's gotten away. So back at the cave, Young Justice comes face-to-face -face with the members of the Justice League, which is to say Flash, Green Lantern, Wonder Woman, Superman, Batman, Aquaman, and Martian Manhunter. They want some explanations. Meanwhile, 
back at Billy's house, which is to say harm, he finally arrives back home. He and his dad chat for a little while. His dad pulls a gun and shoots, shoots Billy to death. And while Billy's on the ground bleeding out, his dad stands over him and shoots him again in the head. The end. And I gotta tell you, the first time I read this, I mean, dude, you talk about a punch in the fucking balls. Because, look, here's the thing. Up to this point, you know, Young Justice had been a very, I think, very lighthearted, very adventuresome type of just fun superhero comic book. You know, and it didn't really go into kind of all that dark territory, you know. And keep in mind, I mean, we're this is a time in the late 90s when... I don't think that, I mean, I really do believe that whole kind of grim and gritty era of comics had sort of seen its day, at least for the time being. And so comics as a whole, it's not that they were so much, you know, lighter, happier and all of that, but it, it's just that they weren't so unrelentingly dark anymore. And so this was uh, just, I, it was a different time, you know, and uh, oddly enough, I think it's a time that I, that history may in the long term kind of forget about because anytime you talk about comics in the 90s it's funny how the conversation basically begins and ends with a speculator boom and an impartial outsider might think that 1994 95 96 97 98 99 just fucking never happened and that the 90s ended in 1993 and so i don't know it's just it's just a weird little fact of history I've noticed that anytime you watch one of those fucking comic book documentaries on TV, they pretty much stop talking about comics right around 1993. And it's just fucking annoying. But anyway, so my point though, is to say that, you know, for as, for as dark and I don't want to say macabre, but just as, just heavy as comics could be in the early nineties, they'd really as a form kind of moved away from that starting in the mid to late nineties and I just don't think comics were as bleak and dark and hopeless as they had been, shall we say, prior to that. And so to come across this moment, which, let's face it, it's a father shooting his own son to death. It's hard to get much darker than that. And it was just kind of a punch in the balls. Again, for all the reasons I just mentioned, but not least of which being that this was a very, like I say lighthearted and fun type of adventure comic book story, you know, adventure superhero type stuff. And I can't really speak for anyone else, but I at least never really saw this coming. You know, I figured that harm was going to be sort of the ongoing big bad in this book and that, you know, maybe someday they'd move on to some other type of big, you know, big uh, supervillain type of threat, but at least for the short term, Harm is here to stay. But, you know, you have to admit, getting blown away by your father, that's not going to do very much to extend your career as a supervillain. So that was definitely some heavy shit. So anyway, and and that's not to say that it wasn't welcome, because this is one of the things that I've always sort of appreciated about Peter David as a writer, is that he can swing back and forth between all of these different emotional extremes. And... It doesn't feel inconsistent. Does that make sense? I mean, it doesn't feel jarring as you're, as you're making your way through the story. And my personal opinion is that 
I mean, number one, it's it's the writer in a thousand that can really pull that off. But I think in Peter David's case, he's sort of helped by Todd Knock's pencils, you know? Todd Knock has this sort of vaguely cartoony type of style, and I kind of struggle to think of anything to, to really compare it to. I know that there are uh, very cartoony type of uh, pencilers in the industry, but none of them... I, 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 none of them really remind me of Todd Nock, and Todd Nock doesn't really remind me of any of them. I mean, I guess if you, like, if if you absolutely had to come up with somebody that Todd Nock has a style somewhat similar to, the very closest I could think of is probably Micro Ringo, but I mean, even that is imperfect. I mean, it's just uh, Todd Nock is. There may be stylistic similarities, but I I would never say that one's a copycat of the other. I'm just trying. I'm struggling like hell to think of a uh, of any other penciler that Todd Knock is even vaguely similar to. And like I say, Michael Ringo is basically the best I can think of. And you know, come to think of it, Michael Ringo, I kind of wonder what he would have done with a book like this. But whatever, we'll never know. But anyway, so. What I'm saying, though, is that Todd Nock is the this book's not-so-secret weapon in as much as, you know, he can do these sorts of, you know, uh, fun, adventure, superhero-type stories. And then he's still got the ability to sell the, let's face it, kind of horrifying nature of a father shooting his own son to death right there in the, you know, their their kitchen of their home. And he can bounce back and forth between those two things with what looks to me like a just sort of incredible ease. And so certainly hats off to Todd Nock. But, you know, that's not the only thing that he does well, you know. There's another moment, this is on page three, where Wonder Girl basically gets a little bit snippy with Impulse. Impulse says, hey, Wonder Girl, you look kind of honked. Everything Okay. To which she replies, I'm fine. And who asked you? And once again, you get another one of, of uh, Impulse's sort of famous, uh, I guess, picture thought balloons, where you see this, if you can follow my meaning, a female dog wearing Wonder Girl's costume. Female dog. Right after she's rather, well, whatever, fuck it. Impulse basically is, is mentally calling her a total bitch. So, I don't know, just little things like that, that have always sort of, I guess, played for me. I mean, I, of all characters, I could actually kind of picture Impulse thinking sort of in graphic, visual terms like that. So, I don't know, it's just, this is an extremely easy thing for me to, for me to just believe in, number one. But also, number two, it's, it's, just, it's just funny. I, I think it's funny. So, anyway... So overall, you know, this is just a nice, fun little issue, and to me, this is just something, this is just one of those, and I mean Young Justice as a title, you understand, but also I guess this comic specifically, this is just one of those things that, it's just something that makes comics great, you know, and you can't find this just anywhere, so anyway, so I think that's pretty much it for this issue 
So that pretty much takes us to issue number six. And as before, this is Young Justice issue number six. Cover date is March of 1999. Cover price is $2.50. Weren't those the days. Anyway, so basically, issue kicks off with uh, the members of Young Justice throwing down with Despero. And holding their own. I mean, because when you think about it, I mean, Despero is not exactly a lightweight in the DC universe. And the fact that they're doing as well against him as they are, I don't know. That's rather impressive. So as the battle progresses, we're getting a little bit of a flashback to what happened at the end of the last issue between the members of Young Justice and the members of the Justice League, where... Basically, Superman says that they, you know, the, the members of the team, Young Justice, they seem to be handling matters so far still. Perhaps we should all be there helping them. And then Wonder Woman's reply to that is, they've asked us to trust them. We gave our word that we'd allow them to handle the situation for 22 minutes. If we, can, if we cannot be trusted, then who can? So when you think about it, it's actually kind of a pretty big show of trust on the part of the Justice League that they're letting Young Justice have a turn with frickin' Despero. So, I don't know. That... And speaking of, this sort of... This sort of touches upon, I guess, the conflict that brought the Justice League to uh, to the cave at the end of the last... at the uh, end of the last issue. And... The issue here, basically, is that the the League has been keeping an eye on on Young Justice, and they've been doing it basically to protect their interests. And I guess the issue here is the association, the presumed association they have with the Justice League. I mean, you've got characters who are either sidekicks or else... descendants, I suppose, of members of the Justice League. And so you can't really, you can't really say that the Justice League doesn't have skin in the game when it comes to the things that uh, Young Justice gets up to. And so, now, I would think that of all people, The Flash, which is to say Wally West, would understand the need to I don't know, have a, have a team as a sort of form of a support group, I suppose. Because I've never thought of the Teen Titans. Now, keep in mind, I mean, I am not a big Teen Titans expert by any stretch. You know, I've read very few Titans comics. But I guess my impression of the Teen Titans has always been that they're... Yes, they're a superhero team. And yes, they're a very effective in, in what they do. But there is a degree to which they're almost a support group for one another. You know, and I guess number one, but also number two, there's something about hanging out with one's peers that I think is really important to teenagers. And when you think about it, I mean, the members of the original Teen Titans, as much as anything, had to be wrestling with the idea of how do I be this? How do I become 
what I need to be in order to work with my, he's not even a partner at this point. He's a fucking legend. You know, how do I become this? And there's that. So, I mean, it's on the one hand, it's like, it's a, it's a support group. On the other hand, it's, I don't know. It's almost like an after school club. I mean, it just, it, it, it can be so many different things. And you would think that of all and this is my point, you would think that of all people, Wally West would know damn good and well exactly what Young Justice is up to, which is not to say that Young Justice is a, is a Teen Titans ripoff. Jeff Johns, you should be listening to me. I'm not saying that the, that the Teen Titans and Young Justice are exactly the same. Obviously, different things motivate Young Justice than motivated the Titans. I'm only saying that you would think that Wally would be able to... I guess, see the bigger picture here. I wouldn't expect Batman, Wonder Woman, or Superman to, or for that matter, even Martian Manhunter. I mean, this is kind of beyond them in terms of their personal life experiences, but it shouldn't be beyond Wally's life experiences. That's my point. So anyway, and I don't know, just the fact that he's, he's not even really being all that big a douchebag about it, to be honest. I mean, all he really says, all Wally says is 15 minutes, Bart. If you're not back in 15 minutes, how about we assign a permanent JLA, JLA member to chaperone you on all your assignments? And just think about that for a minute, you know? I mean, of all people, he's saying that, you know, it's just, yeah, fucking dick. So anyway, whatever. So meanwhile, cut back to the fight. It's Young Justice versus Despero, and this is actually where the battle sort of, sort of started, actually. And... Yeah, on the one hand, they start off, you know, getting their asses handed to them. But then, you know, the worm kind of turns. And as we saw earlier in the issue, they really do start making a pretty decent accounting of themselves. So at the very least, what this tells us is that the Justice League members, or at least some of the Justice League members' faith in Young Justice, it's not exactly misplaced. I guess Wonder Woman's really the only one who completely believed in them. But anyway, whatever. So, elsewhere, back at the cave, there's some goings-on between Cassie and Diana. And Diana basically asks, why aren't you wearing the costume that Donna uh, gave you? I mean, are you, is it that you're ashamed of it or, or, or what? And Cassie says, not in so many words, but basically she says, look, I'm, I'm scared of that thing, you know? I mean, to me, that's not... That's almost like a like a religious icon. I don't want it getting dirty or torn up or shredded or, or or what have you. You know, it's a genuine superhero uniform worn by a genuine superhero. I feel like a little leaguer using an, an autographed Babe Ruth baseball for batting practice. And so she said basic and this is her point, she's basically kind of cobbled together her her own outfit until she feels worthy, I suppose. And Diana says that it's not so much a question of timing. It's the team. Are you sure that this team is the right one for you? And basically she's not trying to, she's not really trying to start anything or for that matter, reinforce Cassie's decision to join justice league or not justice league, uh, young justice, or, or for that matter, inspire her to quit. She just wants her to think it over, you know? 
whatever you do, don't do it hastily. Just think about it. And on the one hand, I think that there's a lot to be said for having an adult in the room who can kind of talk sense to you. And on the other hand, I can see where it can, it can kind of come off a little bit patronizing, though. But through it all, I mean, you kind of have to admit, Wonder Woman is the only member of the Justice League in this entire issue, at least so far, who hasn't... Uh, I don't want to say crossed the line, but gotten a little too overprotective, a little too eager to, to join in and, and do the job herself. And she, all she's really trying to do is give everybody involved a chance. And I don't know. I mean, I just, I think that, that, that is just such a typically Diana thing to do. It just, I ate that much up with a spoon. So anyway, so to get back into, I guess the, uh, the, the story at hand though, back at the, uh, this, uh, circus that everyone is fighting at, the justice, young justice is fighting a Despero at. Basically, you've got Martian Manhunter, who's basically hanging around unofficially, just keeping an eye on things and riding herd. And at this point, Young Justice, they're out of ideas, and so they've decided to start improvising, right? They're, in part, they're making it up as they go along, but also in part, they're they're trying to formulate a plan. And at the bottom of page 13, because of the fact this is a circus, Robin shouts, or the team members shout alternately, he's released lions and tigers and bears. Oh my. Yeah. So anyway, um, oh, and there's some elephants too. So the fight goes on and what we have is basically... Of all characters, it's Secret who actually drives Despero out in the open. And in the, in the middle of all of this chaos and whatnot, a tiger ends up chasing after, at least apparently chasing after, the circus strongman. So Martian Manhunter zips in and goes to the rescue. And in the process, basically makes himself a target now for Despero, who's chooses that moment, shall we say, to take over uh, Martian Manhunter's body, his consciousness, and now shit has really hit the fan. Meanwhile, back at the cave, Arrowette pretty much has it out with the entire Justice League. Now think about this for a minute. You've got this teenage girl who's been stage managed her entire life and she is now shit talking the entire justice league she says oh yeah i know what yours are you just want to crab 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 you even complain about how the guys act when they're hanging with each other so they rank on each other raz each other that's how normal teen guys are siblings too didn't you guys have buds or sibs when you were teens guys you could bust on and know it didn't mean anything no, probably not. I bet you were you were all only children or felt isolated or busy training and stuff. I bet none of you can lay claim to knowing what a normal teen life is supposed to be. 
Jeez, you're so judgmental. I want to puke. And so Kyle Rayner pipes up, hey, guys, you got a rebuttal for this? And Wally's answer for this is, look, bitch, I was a Teen Titan. You're oversimplifying. And Arrowette is uh, basically saying that he's overcomplicating. She storms out and then starts hyperventilating because she was just shit-talking the entire Justice League. So I don't know about the rest of you. I'd have pissed myself before I could ever manage to get that get that out. So, But it needed to be said. And Cassie even says that, dude, that took some serious fucking balls. Well, not balls. That took some serious ovaries uh, to, to stand there and talk to these people who have saved the world so fucking many times. Anyway, it's just, it's a neat little moment. And so that, that's actually sort of the beginning of, of, uh, of Cassie and Arrowette bonding, I guess, with each other. So, and Sissy, sorry, I think I said Sissy a minute ago. This is Cassie and Sissy bonding with each other, not Cassie bonding with Wonder Girl. So anyway, Cassie and Sissy bonding with each other. This basically is where that starts. So time's running out. Uh, basically the members of Young Justice are up against the clock and it's getting to the point where the Justice League is going to have to step in and take care of Despero for them. And so wouldn't you know it, they managed to uh, find a way to work as a team take Despero down, dispossess him of Martian Manhunter, and then have Secret come in and handle it from there. And basically, Robin asks, where did Secret take Despero? And Secret's only answer to that is, I don't think you want to know. And this is basically... Basically, this is Young Justice not exactly totally staying within the time limit that was given to them by the Justice League. But on the other hand, they only, they only came back to the cave four minutes late. And the, the emergency itself was dealt with within the allotted amount of time, which honestly, Robin says at best, that really should count for something. And... Superman's reply to that is considering that you handled one of our greatest foes and no one was injured or killed thanks to you and you're able to prevent one of your own members from uh, wreaking havoc while possessed well I think that kind of speaks for itself so anyway Superman's point is that this whole thing basically it it comes down to a wash they're young and they should be able to Basically, they just need some slack, right? They need to get... The Justice League just needs to get off everybody's nuts about this. So... One thing that does come out of this, though, is Superman basically says... There's going to have to be some kind of parent-teacher conferences that go along with all of this. And that's not exactly music to just to uh, Young Justice's ears. And that's the end of the issue. And... The reason this worked for me was because when I first started reading Young Justice, 
This was a kind of an impromptu team. I mean, this was a team that was a team, but wasn't actually supposed to be a team, but nevertheless became a team. And on top of all of that, I mean, their associations with the Justice League kind of speak for themselves. But the other thing is they're using Justice League equipment to do most of their work. And not to mention, there's technically a former Justice League member in the form of Red Tornado riding herd on the whole team. So there comes a point when, you know, this really does affect the Justice League. And they need to, there needs to be some sort of rapprochement between... I think that's how you pronounce the word. Fuck it, whatever. It's one in the morning, I'm tired. So you're going to take reproachment and you're going to like it. There would have to be some kind of reproachment between Young Justice and the Justice League. And this issue starts laying all of that out there. And might I say in a very funny way, but also it kind of emphasizes the point that, you know, like Superman was saying, these kids went up against a sparrow, took him down in record time, no one was killed or even all that badly hurt, and honestly, you could argue that the only reason the fight went on as long as it did is because of the fact that Martian Manhunter got involved. If he hadn't, who's to say that the fight with the sparrow might not have ended a whole lot sooner? So there's a degree to which, you know what, the only people who fucked this up for Young Justice is a Justice League. So that's something. So anyway, all around, this is this wasn't quite the you know the fun-loving, easygoing, uh, light-hearted sort of superhero adventure that you know previous books, previous issues have been. But it does. It is nevertheless a, a good reminder that Peter David is capable of writing more than just one type of story. He's not a one-trick pony, and that's always appreciated. So. Anyway, all around, uh, lots of fun, love this issue, and obviously I highly recommend it or else I wouldn't be talking about it right now, now would I? So, anyway, now as it goes for the future, you know, upcoming helpings of uh, this this unfinished business miniseries that I'm working my way through, um, next week the plan is to... You know what? I don't think I'm going to tell you what's coming next week. And the reason for that is because it may yet change. So I don't want to commit to something that I may not be able to deliver on in the end. But suffice it to say that this is, uh, you know, you act, I'm not I'm not actually finished with unfinished business yet. So be sure of that. And, oh, by the way, the music that you're hearing right now is basically the kind of stuff that I could picture Young Justice listening to especially Superboy. So anyway, that's, there's really no deeper significance to that. It's just, I like this song and I could totally picture Young Justice listening to it. So there you have it. So I think that's pretty much it for me this week. So bye everybody. I will see you next week.
Hello, my name is Robert Willing, and I love comics. But my all-time favorite comics are the Alternate Universe comics. Now, that's not an obscure comic company that's known only to local comic stores. What I'm talking about are comics that gives us a different spin on characters we know and love. From your Elseworlds at DC to your What Ifs at Marvel. Why am I doing it? Well, there are two reasons. First of all, I love the unlimited possibilities that the multiverse has brought us, and I wanted to share that love with everyone. I will be talking about all sorts of alternate continuities. If it wasn't canon, I'll talk about it. Elseworlds, what if? Intercompany continuity is because, let's face it, very few of those count. I'll also be talking about non-canon minis like Superman Birthright, Shazam A New Beginning, Bob Layton's Hercules, and even Heroes Reborn because, let's face it, we're all glad that never stuck. And on a few occasions, I'll even be discussing the Doctor Who Unbound audios. I'll also try and get interviews and Q&As with as many comic creators as I possibly can. Now keep in mind, this does not count full running company lines or eras, so no children comics or the ultimate comics. The All-Stars, maybe. Oh, and the second reason, well... Hey, how's it going? Hey, what are you doing in my room? My room? This is mine at... Wait, Sean Engel? What are you doing here? Sean, I'm... I'm Robert Willing, and... Wait, you look like Sean Ingle. Ugh, okay, I get it. You're from a world where I'm Sean Ingle, and you're me. Man, you... you get visits, too? Yeah. You see, folks, my house is set in a unique location of the multiverse, where every world intersects, and I get occasional and very random visits from other me's. Tell me about it. Once I met a version of me where I was Guy Gardner. Pre or New 52? Neither. It was the collateral damage one. Yeah, I met him. What an absolute jerk. Oh, holy cow. That, uh, that Guy Gardner was such an ass. So join me this summer as I grant first the multiverse and share different iterations of churches you love, as well as deal with other people. And then, you know, Jacob decided to take away the whole Boldarian thing and make a Boldarian storyline. It was just awful. What the hell was he thinking? I'm kidding. See you soon, everyone. Elsewhere in the multiverse, look at all your favorite alternate iterations coming soon to a podcast near you. This is an imaginary podcast, which may never have happened. The Shortbox Showcase. But then again may have. About a father and daughter. I'm Professor Allen. And I'm Emily. Who came from Ohio and talked about comics. Walking Dead. Tintin. Black Lightning. White Tiger. It tells of their rise to glory, when the great guests were yet to be booked. Let's put it this way, Shogun Warriors wasn't going to win any Eisners. And the great feats of editing not yet performed. And this is Ultra Seven, this is Ultraman Jack, and this is Ultraman Taro, and this is Ultraman Leo, and this is Ultra- of how they spoke at length. This continuity is really the brainchild of nitpicking nerds the world over. But to be fair, the best kind of confession is the Force Confession. And reviewed in brief tales that explore creatively the bounds of a given character's history. Red Sun is wonderful with a very strange ending. Of brilliant creators before their fall from grace. This is the era where Miller is at the height of his creative and artistic powers. 
and the ability of strong writing to encapsulate and transcend its time. Flash of Two Earths by Gardner Fox. This is an imaginary podcast. Aren't they all? Shortbox Showcase is part of the Relatively Geeky family of podcasts. Check us out on the web at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com or search on iTunes for Relatively Geeky or Shortbox Showcase. And remember, we're not experts. We're just family. Okay, so I think that's just about the end of that. Trennis Magnus Punches Reality is a proud member of the Two True Freaks Podcast Network. You can find the home for Trennis Magnus Punches Reality on Facebook just by searching for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. There you can interact with your fellow listeners and also see notifications of new episodes when I put them up. You can friend me on Facebook just by searching for Trentus Magnus, which is spelled T-R-E-N-T-U-S-M-A-G-N-U-S. You can email me and my parole officer at TrentusMagnus at gmail.com. Do you have a suggestion for a topic? Feel free to email me, and I might consider thinking about the possibility of potentially discussing whatever you have in mind someday. And that's a promise. Do you have a podcast of your own? If so, why not record a promo for me to play on my show? It's quick, easy, and can help you spread the word about your show. I'm always looking for more promos to play. Keep it fairly short, and yours could be next. My promos can be found at this show's homepage for those interested. Just look for the promos section. Visit our website at twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at twotruefreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, Two True Freaks gets a little cut of what you buy and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you get to shop as usual and help out the Two True Freaks at the same time. Two True Freaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available on iTunes, and you can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish, or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow. We have so many shows to choose from, there's just bound to be one that appeals to your particular fandom. Just search Two True Freaks with an exclamation mark at the end, space, and the number two. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? If you've enjoyed our show, please, won't you take a moment to rate us on iTunes? That helps others find the show, too. The contents of this podcast are fictitious, hypothetical, and probably completely unnecessary. Any similarity to living persons or real-life events is purely coincidental, and void where prohibited by law, some assembly required, batteries not included. The white zone is for passenger loading and unloading only. All models are over the age of 18. Trennis Magnus Punches Reality is a Magnus Media Enterprises Limited production in association with Demonzacore of Milan, Italy.